Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 133. Busy week, going to get right into it. Just one quick housekeeping item. I'm starting an email subscriber list. Now, if you've been on the Instagram page recently and checked out the profile, you'll see that I have added a convenient new landing page that will take you directly to Apple Podcasts, directly to Spotify or the website. It is super, super easy. Like I said, some housekeeping stuff that I'm doing during the downtime. No more hunting around for links. There's also a button there where you can add your email address. At some point, I will start offering perhaps secret episodes or giveaways, or maybe I'll drop some special stories in there that don't go into the episode. There's a lot of things that sometimes get left on the cutting room floor. I don't know yet what I'm going to do, but just add your email address, and I will tell you right now that you will not get spammed. I hate getting spam emails. I get them all the time. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, Vitamin Shop, I'm looking at you. I will not be doing that. They'll be very random and sporadic, but if something does go out, there will be a very definite reason for it. So go check that out on the website or the Facebook page or Instagram. I'm starting to add the links, so should be pretty simple. Don't forget, leave a review in Apple Podcast. That always helps. And again, every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. My guest on this episode is Chase Kepka. After a stellar junior career here in Palm Beach County, he became an All-American at the University of South Florida, where he went on to become the first player in history to win the Freshman of the Year Award and the Big East Player of the Year Award in the same year. He won four times in his collegiate career, turned professional in 2016. We spoke about his decision that led him to Europe to play the Challenge Tour and the European Tour, we spoke about the logistics of being an American trying to play over there and also explained why ultimately he decided to come back to the States to play on the Corn Ferry Tour. There are some absolutely tremendous stories in this episode. I've done over 130 episodes here at the back of the range. For those of you that have been listening for quite some time, you can tell when some episodes I'm a little more involved in and maybe driving them, so to speak. But then there's somewhere I just need to hit the record button and direct traffic just a little bit. But largely, I'm staying out of the way because the guest is that good. Well, Chase is that good. Fun episode. Let's get to it. Chase, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm just in, enjoying my uh, social distancing and staying at home uh, here in West Palm Beach. Yeah, I haven't showered in seven days either, so um, it's 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 bad. Um, I uh, well, we're both down here in South Florida, and pretty much right down the street from each other, practically. And yeah, I mean yep. everything in Palm Beach County is closed. I know that some people are you know shooting up to Martin County to maybe get some swings in, play a little bit of golf. Um, I haven't really done that because I don't really have anything major to play for. Um, you kind of have some things that you want to play for. You've got Corn Ferry coming up at some point, we hope. Um, how, how have you kind of coped with the reality of, um, you know, the, the world being on hold, so to speak? I've honestly just, just tried to do as much as I could, just listening to whatever our officials say, you know, staying in. Um, I have not even gone up to, you know, drive 30, 40 minutes to go play golf. I haven't hit any golf balls since the 
it was the final round of like a minor league event um, at the Fox Club. Like I just haven't I haven't played. Um, I can't even remember what day that was. It I almost I think it's probably coming on three weeks now that I haven't I haven't even hit any golf balls, haven't done anything uh, related to golf. So it's it's been very weird, but at the same time, I'm just trying to do my part, and the faster this kind of all gets done and everybody gets back and healthy, you know, the faster I can get back out to playing some tournaments. Yeah, it's really strange. It's almost like you're you're suffering an injury that you have to sit out or or you know whatever you want to call it. You're taking a break, but the entire world is taking a break with you. Have have you had time just to kind of? and I guess kind of piggybacking on the question I just asked you, but um, are there things that you're maybe thinking just introspectively, what can I work on to prepare myself once I do get back? And I don't mean like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hit some balls, which obviously you're not doing, but uh, you know, I guess fitness you can work on. Are there things, or even just completely unplugging and taking a break and saying, I'm going to use this time to, um, you know, maybe do something I haven't done in a while. Maybe, you know, maybe read or, or anything. Is there things that you've just introspectively thought of like, okay, I, I, I kind of want to focus on this for a little while. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely, um, been hanging out with my girlfriend a lot more. We've been able to hang out for, for a while. This is like the first time I've, uh, we've both kind of haven't been working, um, for a while. So we've been staying at home, you know, she's been doing a bunch of puzzling, um, you know, we've been baking at home, which is actually like not the greatest cook in the world, but you know, when it, when it comes to making a good homemade cookie, um, I, I'm pretty good at making sure it's done right. Okay. So you're like single digit handicap, uh, cookie baker is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I need to be. Okay. Yeah. You got to get there. It'll, it'll take time. Yeah. That's good. Um, well, before all this hit, you let, let's talk a little bit about your journey in professional golf because it has been uh to say uh, globe traveler is is to uh, that's very much an understatement played collegiately at the university of south florida you know multiple winner freshman of the year Big East player of the year had a great career there and um and then you know 2016 you you turned pro and actually you you win your professional debut which was on the minor league golf tour so um, maybe kind of walk me through, if you can, maybe your thoughts coming out of college and weighing the options of what you're going to do to start your professional career. As you know, there's many different ways that that could be done, whether it's trying to Monday into everything or, or playing a developmental tour. Um, you eventually did go play in Europe, but maybe kind of talk me through how you got started and made the decisions on your professional career. Yeah, so I was just, uh, it was my spring semester of my senior year, and I went to try and go qualify for um, PGA Tour Canada at the time, and I I got conditional status, but the way uh, the college golf season kind of worked the farther we made it in the postseason, the more events I was going to miss up in Canada. Right. And at the time, it was really only the winner was getting their spot um, on the, the web.com tour. And lo and behold, you know, one of my uh, friends down here, a guy who plays a course, 
Dan McCarthy legitimately through the first four events. I think he had two wins and a second. And I think the fifth event he ended up winning as well or something like that. So it was looking like, okay, um, well, that's not going to really work out too well because, you know, I just got done my college season and there's only about seven events left up there. So I might as well just stay at home a little bit and not really worry about it and just try and play on the minor league golf tour and be as competitive as I can up until Q school. And that's, that was what my plan was. And, you know, like you said, um, I won my first ever minor league golf tour event um, at a golf course that, you know, it's in the same community that my dad lives in. So that was pretty cool. And about a month later, I got a call from my uh, agent that um, I was going to get a few spots in some challenge tour events and uh, a European tour event. And I was like, wow, that's great. You know, it's perfect because I was going to do Q school over there for Europe. Um, And I was like, that would be perfect for me to kind of get an opportunity to, you know, see how I like it, you know, kind of before, uh, or at least know what's coming before, you know, if I make it to final stage and get my European tour card. Yeah. So that was a huge um, step for me going over there to Europe, you know, and playing some of the challenge tour events, and I got my butt kicked really quickly over there, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I really need to get a lot better um, before Q school, so I practiced really hard before Q school, and, you know, the way Q school dates worked, I kind of had to pick or choose, literally, I I told myself in the second round of Q school uh, in Europe that if I'm not playing well in these first 10 holes, then I need to go back and try and fly back to the United States to make it for second stage here in the U.S. What you're saying is you're, you were basically saying to yourself, if I am not getting off to a hot start on this front nine, I'm going to withdraw so I can make sure I catch a flight back home. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And luckily enough, I had the last tea time. I I would have been flying in to like Tampa airport at like nine, nine o'clock in the morning, I think, or something like that. And then I would have, I would have drove up to Southern Hills and teed off at like noon in the first round. If, I wasn't getting off to a hot start. And where was this Q school? That was in the middle of nowhere, Spain. It was about a two-hour drive to the airport uh, from, like, Barcelona, I think, or something like that. And that was, like, the only place that I could get a direct flight, you know, back into the United States. So instead of the stay in the present, uh, stay focused, and block everything out, you're basically trying to get through Q school thinking about – all right, I have I have three or four holes to make something happen, or I need to get to the airport to catch another Q school on the other side of the world. Yes, that's correct. Okay. and All right, so then walk me through how that Q school went in Europe. I got to the 10th green, and I was 500 par that round, and I looked at my caddy and said, um, 
I I think we have time to play these eight holes. Yeah. Because uh, I think we're going to go to final stage here and uh, drive up to final stage of Q School here in about five hours. <laughs> so uh, I ended up finishing off the round and made it through by, I think, like three shots or something like that. Because I, I was one back starting the day. Okay. So that was I, – I knew I needed to make sure something happened. And I think I shot like – I think I finished that like 500 par that round to make sure I got through. Incredible how one round of golf completely can change the course of uh, of your life. Because, I mean, it's – without that, then maybe you never play Europe and you just come over to the States and you miss out on Challenge Tour. You miss out on being on the European Tour for – for uh you know for 20 uh for 2018 yeah it, it's crazy to think about that but that was literally my decision was okay i have 10 holes to do something and those 10 holes impacted me you know getting um my challenge tour uh status which wasn't great going into 2017 but i had some available and um i knew i would get into a few events and that season on the challenge tour when I got over there, um, I missed the first six events cause I wasn't getting in and I got a last minute call, um, in 2017, uh, to go play an event in Spain. I got there. I actually had to fly from Dallas back to my house. Cause I didn't, I did the Monday for, I think I did the Monday for a PGA tour event in Dallas and realized I was getting into the event on the challenge tour in Spain, had to fly back, grab my passport and then flew over there and got in like Wednesday night and then teed off Thursday morning. <laughs> Unreal. I mean, yeah. I mean, how's at, at that point, like the nine to five desk job can't be looking that awful. I mean, it just, it, it can't be that bad. Um, all right, I want to I want to talk a little bit about a European tour, but I definitely do not want to pass over the minor league golf tour. I've talked to I've actually had McCarthy on the podcast. Yeah, that season in Canada that he had was was ridiculous. He won I think four out of the twelve events. I've spoken to Steve LeBron. Uh, I was you know who's who's been on the pod. Uh, spoken to Scott Turner, who's the director of the minor league golf tour. And uh, you know the one thing I you know it may have you know whether it's one day events or two day events. I know you still play it when you're in town. And there's a lot of these great events that they run, whether it you know pays for a Q school series or it's a, a match play event. I mean, they have tons and tons of events. But just to maybe share a story about the minor league golf tour to listeners that are thinking, you know, what is this mini tour? You know, there there's no one that plays that that's any good. Can you think back to maybe a battle that you had on the back nine with another player where you're trading birdies back and forth where Looking back, you're thinking to yourself, man, if there were some cameras out here following this, this is just as good, if not better, than what happens on the PGA Tour every Sunday. I mean, I can give you a really good example of it, and it was not long ago. It was at the first major of the year that the minor league tour has, and it was at Coral Springs Country Club. Yeah. And it was a pretty good battle between Gavin Hall and I. And if anybody follows the minor league golf tour they will know who gavin hall is and this kid is unbelievable left-handed player uh from the university of texas and he is an all-around just pure ball striker great putter honestly going head-to-head with him like he he is going to be something in the next couple years when he gets his opportunity to play out on a tour but 
I go out in the first round and I shot 60 and <laughs> which was, you know, I'm getting in. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'll probably have like, uh, you know, everybody, if somebody shoots a 64, 65 or better on the minor, minor league golf tour, like every time, like people don't realize how good the golfers are on just a, even a small tour. Right. And it, just because we have so many good players um, that are within an hour drive that need a place to play. And the minor league tour gives those guys the opportunity. And I get done, and I look up, and it's like, well, Gavin shot 62. Okay, all right. Well, I only got a two-shot lead, and I just and – I, and I almost shot 59. Yeah, you had the round of your life, and really it's just like, okay, I, I'm basically tied after one day. Yeah. And I go in – in the second round and I'm like, okay, I need to try and get off to a, you know, good start here to try and kind of push my lead. And I hit a hybrid on, we started on the back nine, um, just the way the course kind of set up a little bit better. So we start on the back nine. I get on the 12th hole, this part five. It's a really kind of tricky second shot where if you hit your drives too far, you kind of get blocked out by these palm trees and it's a really narrow green with water short right big trees on the right over the water and then ob behind the green and left of the green and i'm kind of sitting there behind the stream gavin hits a good shot up on uh onto the green and i'm like i kind of i can't get a foreign up and over these trees but i'm like if i can kind of like high cut a hybrid in here i might be able to all I have to do is just make sure that this ball doesn't come out smoking hot or it can go OB. Right. I had a great shot and just over the bunker, and it's just one of those pins that the best I could do was 40 feet, and I hit it to 40 feet. And I make the putt, and I'm like, okay, that's perfect. I make a few more birdies kind of coming in on the, uh, on the next couple holes, and Gavin makes an unbelievable birdie on this part three. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I kind of look and I'm like looking at the scores and I'm like, oh man, I just shot 30 on the backside and I actually hadn't picked up any shots. <laughs> let, let people figure that out. I have 90 shots through 27 holes, 90 shots through 27 holes, and I am only two ahead. You shot 60 64 to win this. Gavin shoots yeah. 62-65. Yeah. And after 27 holes, I had 90 golf shots. And I was only two ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, people are like, wow, that's great. And it's just, it's incredible and phenomenal golf. But it's also just like, like, what are you guys doing out there? Just beating the hell out of each other. And it's just, it's it's crazy, and I'm looking at the the I'm looking at the leaderboard right now, and it's not like you two are like out on an island all by yourself. It's not like you were doing like a Mickelson Stenson thing, um, you know. They're players that are, I mean, they're players that are right there. Yeah, I mean, like it was just we kind of just kept we were kind of pushing each other. It was like every time he made a birdie, like I kind of made a birdie on like the next hole later, and there was. Uh, big part five where I, you know, he missed a putt 
and I made like a six, eight foot slider and, you know, where it kind of kept me where I was two ahead still, or, you know, and that's basically, I was just trying to make sure I kept my big enough lead because the final hole is kind of like a sneaky drivable hole and Gavin hits it long enough where he could put it, the ball on the green and have a chance for Eagle. And, you know, um, you know, might not be the biggest prize fund in golf history, but we're playing for 10 grand and 10 grand in kind of small tour golf. That's a lot of money that keeps you playing for, for three months. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize. And, and so there's like, there's a lot of nerves that come into it that, and you know, the first time I won one of those majors, I was nervous coming down the stretch and I had to make a putt in the last hole. And the reason why that golf tour is so good is the fact that you can feel those, that pressure and know if you make it, when you're making those putts on a small level tour, that that's only going to translate when you get up to the bigger tour where that putts for, you know, 40 grand or a hundred grand or even a million dollars. Yep. And you realize that that's where that starts. And a lot of guys have started is on the minor league golf tour and kind of built careers from there. And Scott should be very proud of what he's been able uh, to do over the last couple of years and really expanded that golf tour to where, you know, guys are literally moving down here to go play that golf tour. That's a that's an incredible endorsement, and yeah, he uh, he really has built something. He actually relayed to me a great story about that victory that you had in your in your debut at um, at Atlantis, which is the the course that it was at. And he told me he said, you know, this this young kid coming out of uh, USF, first time playing a professional event, and he told me that there was like maybe four to five hours of a rain delay for this one event that had maybe a dozen guys, which is basically a, you know, it's a throwaway. I mean, if you really look at it in the grand scheme of things, everyone would be like, eh, you know, it's a Tuesday. We got rained out. You know, who cares? But um, he told me that you just basically sat there the entire day just waiting, you know, when, when you were told to go play, you go play. When you're told to come off the course, you came off the course. And he just told me that that you're one of the guys that just sat there and, acted like a professional and it was in your day it was your debut but you acted like a professional which is hey you know I'm, I'm here to do a job and yeah i mean i think the the amount of money it took off of that one day event was like you know 400 bucks which you know 400 bucks it you know comes and goes but you're a professional from day one yeah and that's kind of a lot of what uh my dad my brother really been able to kind of instill in me um is just making sure i'm a professional when no matter what i'm doing and you know i didn't even think about it but you know when somebody else sees that and kind of relays that it makes me feel good about you know how uh, i was raised and the people i have around me you know, I, I, I definitely want to ask you about your dad because I've, I've met him. I've played a handful of uh, – uh, I think we I think we had as many beers together as golf holes we played together the one day we, we played golf because we got <laughs> rained out. I think three or four, and I, I think that's – so we'll ask about him. But, you know, I feel terrible. We did not talk – we haven't mentioned the fact that you have a brother, and I, I may want to make sure we get him a little bit of, of, of press. Uh, tell me a little bit about your brother. So my brother Brooks. Um, 
formerly the number one player in the world. You know, he, he splits a little bit. <laughs> Shots he splits fired. a little bit. That's down awesome. To three. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, so my brother, he's, he's one of the greatest people uh, that I could have around me on a regular basis, being able to pick his brain. And from, from a guy that started on the Challenge Tour and has gotten the number one in the world six years' time, is just absolutely crazy to think about that from where he started. And he is he's the best player right now in the biggest events yeah. in the world. And that that's just a fact. Yep. Over the last... Since he started playing in majors, he's been the best golfer in majors. And it, to have somebody like that so close to me is <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I can only imagine, uh, and that's that's enough publicity for him. Let's just keep this thing under wraps. But we may revisit this because <laughs> I, 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 I want to talk about Europe because you basically, um, I, I'm guessing you saw the success that he had in, in 2014 when he went over to Europe and kind of ran through the the European Challenge Tour, then the the big tour, to uh, you know boost his his world golf ranking to get him over to the PGA Tour. I know uh, basically him and Peter Uline just followed that same blueprint. I'm guessing that led you over there along with your agent telling you, hey, you can kind of get a head start over here with some with some events. But I mean, playing in Europe from a kid that grows up in South Florida, multiple different types of currency, multiple countries. Um, all sorts. I mean, did you have any idea what you were getting into? When I mean, when did it hit you that you're like, okay, I'm here by myself. I speak English. That's about it. Like, when did it hit you? Like, okay, this is for real. I I gotta. This is gonna be a challenge. It was honestly the first event that I got over there. I had to go uh, up way north in Scotland uh, for this challenge tour event, and. I had to fly through London Heathrow and obviously I got in and it was, we landed and it was like 6am and it was, you know, midnight back home and I have no idea what's going on. And there is so many people in this airport and it's <laughs> the biggest airport I've ever been in in my entire life. And I'm just trying to figure out where I need to go and I'm scrambling to find where I need to go. And, you know, I finally get up and, uh, the next flight up uh, to where I needed to go in Scotland. It was simple enough as I'm literally trying to ask the taxi driver, you know, if he's able to take me to where I need to go. And I couldn't understand a thing he was saying. Oh, perfect. And I'm like, we are speaking English together, right? And I honestly, I could not understand one thing with his Scottish accent. <laughs> and then the only thing... It, and then obviously I get into the car and I typical American thing. First thing I do, I try and go in the passenger seat of course. on our side. Of course. It's driver's side. And I'm like, and he, and he just looks at me. It's the only thing I remember him saying clearly enough. He just looks at me and goes, silly American. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. I, I couldn't blame him. I mean, I knew which side I needed to get on. And I still couldn't, still couldn't figure out how to open up the right car door. Yeah. Yeah, I've done I've done that. I've been to Scotland a handful of times, and um, doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you just you you just go for the left side, and yeah, it, it always happens. Um, so you're you're over there playing, and this is I guess your first time really seeing 
the caliber of players on an international stage, whether it's Challenge Tour or European Tour. This is the first time you're really, I'm guessing, experiencing different types of courses, different layouts, um, weather conditions, uh, firmness of the ground. I'm, I'm guessing you had to completely change your approach to, I'm guessing, short game. I, I mean, how, how drastic did you need to kind of adjust to all these different landscapes and courses that you're playing? Yeah, I mean, I literally had to get thrown right into it uh, as soon as I teed up on the Challenge Tour. Um, we were playing kind of a firm, bouncy golf course, and it's summertime in Scotland, which means it's – you have no idea. You can get all four seasons in the summertime in Scotland. <laughs> and it was cold. It was raining, and – I'm just not used to that. Uh, being growing up in South Florida, we all know if if you're in South Florida and it starts to rain, you you pretty much head inside because there's it's going to rain all day, um, and there's probably a thunderstorm right behind it. Yeah. In the summertime, and I'm pretty sure I played all 36 holes. It felt like in about 50 degree weather, and it was raining sideways. And I'm like, after the first day, I'm like, you know, I didn't really play all that bad. And I think I shot like two over, three over, and I get done. And I'm like, I'm almost in last place. Yeah, because there's people that are shooting 65s and, and pissing rain because that's that's their life. That's what they've grown up doing their whole life. Yeah. It was the strangest thing because I got out there and I thought I was hitting, honestly, some really good golf shots. And I, I couldn't tell how far the ball was going in the wind and the rain and it took me like two or three events to honestly figure out what my ball is doing in like proper wind and rain when you're playing in scotland or england like that was it's the hardest thing to figure out like i'm like you know it's windy in south florida but there it's a different type of wind when you're there in scotland England, Wales, like you get, or even Ireland, like you get a breeze off the water or just any type of cold breeze with a little bit of rain and you're, you're hitting four iron 150 yards, absolutely flush on the dead center of the club. (laughs) And I've just never experienced that in my life. And I I could not get a ball to the green. And I'm like, I'm clubbing up one and two clubs, the whole entire event. And I like was barely getting it past front edge of the green and I'm like, okay, I really need to watch other guys play golf and kind of learn a little bit. And it was a big smack in the face, and it really helped me out a lot. Who were some of the guys that you, um, you know, actually I just released an episode today. You know, we're, we're it's April 9th that we're recording this. I'm kind of letting listeners know because of coronavirus, things change from day-to-day basis. But I just released an episode today with John Hahn, who played the European Tour. I know that you are you were there when he was there. Uh, was he one of the guys that you kind of uh, played with or learned from, or who were some of the guys that like said, okay, you know, quote unquote, silly American, let's, let me show you a couple things that are going to be helpful for you around here. Funny enough, my first ever practice round was with John Hahn in Scott. Yeah. And so that was pretty cool. You know, obviously for me to be able to, you know, pick his brain a little bit and, you know, just being more comfortable over there. Um, the only good thing outside of, uh, you know, having somebody that I knew from home there was the fact that me playing 
college golf, I, I actually knew a bunch of guys that were, you know, playing on the challenge tour that I met from playing in college and, or through some of my teammates and what people don't realize my, my team at uh, university of South Florida was actually really diverse. We started, we, we would play some five, six man tournaments where I was the only American on the team. So I actually had kind of a wide base group where, um, I was actually texting some of my buddies and going, Hey, can you help set me up a practice round with one of your buddies just so I can get to kind of meet yeah. some of these guys over there. And I was just using every Avenue I could to kind of meet some of these guys and, you know, try and make my life a little bit easier sure. while I was over there, just meeting some guys, you know, having get guys so that I can order food for me when I'm in France or something like that, you know, you know, just making my life a little bit easier, meeting these guys and, you know, just having a little bit different friend group while I'm over there. Cause most of the guys had no idea who I was and I had no idea who they were. <laughs> and these are things that probably people listening or people that follow golf, they're not even thinking that this is going to be an issue. All they're focusing on is, Hey, what are you going to shoot? Or can you get through? Can you make the cut? And can you, you know, make this certain level to move on to the next level. These are the little things that probably nobody thinks of. So I'm guessing the challenge off the golf course was just as much on the golf course. Yeah. At that, at that time, you know, I'm really just trying to find, you know, my comfort level and because everything, everywhere I went was somewhere new to me. And and having some guys that I could hang out with while I was over there really helped helped out for me. And and that that summer of 2016, where I played some events over there, uh, really it, it kind of made me feel more comfortable going into Q school, knowing that hey, if I end up playing over here in Europe. I feel more comfortable about walking into something that's going to be brand new to me. So I'm guessing traveling through Europe, um, just super simple travel plans, easy to get hotels, just navigating through multiple different countries. I'm guessing it was just super easy. And I hope you're picking up on the sarcasm. People have no idea what actually goes on. And a lot of times I was traveling by myself. Yeah. Uh, because uh, a lot of the guys would go home uh, from the challenge tour. If you're like kind of in Maine, Europe, like a lot of the guys would go home Sunday night and then kind of come back Tuesday morning and stuff like that. So I was just always usually traveling around by myself, trying to like figure out places to stay. And on challenge tour money, you're not, you can't really stay at the nicest hotel. So you're always trying to find these Airbnbs or the kind of these cheaper hotels. Right. I mean, basically you're sitting there and, um, after I made a little bit of money, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get a caddy. So that was a huge expense as well. So I was like, all right, I'm going to sacrifice where I'm staying a little bit in most of these places, you know, so I can have a caddy full time. And the, best story I had with figuring out a place to stay for the week. I am in Prague and I've been messaging this lady with the Airbnb for about, you know, four or five days and, you know, everything seems good. Um, 
and it was really weird though. Like I, I'd send a message and I'd get hear back from her like a, a week or like a day later or something like that. And I pulled out some money. I had some check kroner. I think that's what I think. No, it's not kroner. Uh, check crowns. That's yeah. what it is. So I yeah. pulled out a little bit of check crowns and I, it was like just enough for me to kind of get a taxi and, you know, to where I had to go. And I get there and I'm like trying to call this lady. Obviously my phone isn't really working all that well. For some reason, historically my phone has never really worked that well when I've been in Bronx. Okay. And I'm calling this lady to try and get in this Airbnb. And I have a buddy of mine that's coming and staying like in two days. So I'm all by myself and nothing, nothing, nothing's happening. Like I'm trying to buzz in to even like go up, um, to this, uh, condo and I can't get in and I'm calling this lady, calling this lady and nothing, nothing's there. I, I don't know what to do. I'm starting to panic at this point. So I call Airbnb and my phone's starting to die. My phone ends up dying. And I'm basically stuck with a golf bag and my luggage in the middle of prop. And I'm walking around trying to find, like, a place to charge my phone. And, and luckily enough, this hotel kind of lets me sit in there for a little while and get a hold of Airbnb. And they find me a new place to stay. And it looks like it's not too far away. And I asked somebody and they're like, yeah, you know, it's just a, it's just a short walk. And I was like, perfect. Cause I didn't really have that much money, uh, for a cab to kind of go anywhere. And so I start walking this way and the addresses in other places of the world are a little bit more confusing than they are yeah. in the United States. So I'm walking in the direction that it looks like this is where I'm going. And I kind of get lost in the way there, which is not a shocker, but I'm carrying, but I'm rolling my golf bag and my suitcase. And I would say I'm about a half mile there. And with my walking around and stuff like that. And when you're holding a golf bag, like my, my forearms were absolutely killing me. Oh yeah. I've been there just rolling it through an airport uh, and just like the terminal is just a mile away and you can't to the rental car or whatever it is. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're yeah. I'm dying. So like I'm switching back and forth between hands, rolling this thing. And I finally like get to where I think this is. And I knock on this door and obviously the person spoke no English. And I was like, well, uh, obviously this is not the place. Yeah. So, I walked back to the hotel, which is another like half mile. And that, so I've totally spent probably two and a half hours just figuring out where I need to go at this point. And I go back to the hotel and I have somebody that speaks a little bit better English. And they finally showed me, and it is three quarters of a mile now in another direction. So I've already Shit. walked about a mile and a half so far with my golf club, backpack, and suitcase. And I finally get there. And no joke, I land. And this was after me flying in. I had like an early morning flight. 
and I probably arrived there in at the airport in Prague at around 9 a.m., and I finally got into this home at, like, 3.30. And the next day, when I went to go swing, because I was walking around, my forearms were so... Can't grip a club. I, I honestly could I, I couldn't grip a club from walking around. I mean, it was a solid. I walked around for two and a half hours carrying a golf golf bag around the city of Prague, which (laughs) it's not the safest city in the world, let's say. I honestly have never been more scared in my life than that moment. Well, because you're you're basically holding up a sign to any idiot that's in the area saying, hi, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a golfer, so come rob me. So, yeah, that was, that was probably the scariest one. Um, I mean, I've had in Italy, I had somebody try and make me pay 80 euros for a cab ride. That was five minutes. Italy, Italy has not treated me very well. I literally had in Italy for one night there and it was just so I could fly back to the US and I had to go I had to go there and the next time I was there for the Italian Open um, after I missed the cut um, I was like I was kind of having a rough time I was like alright I'm, I'm going to go out for like a few drinks and you know not like honestly nothing crazy just right. wanted to have dinner and you know nice part of the world you know I grabbed you know, a couple of drinks and, and just kind of head back. And apparently uh, the cops were called on us saying that we never paid our bill. Uh-huh. And um, we're like walking, walking back and the local police stopped us and told us we never paid. And we, they wanted 150 euros or 200 euros in cash. So it sounds like, an extor- like it sounds like an extortion attempt. That's pretty much what it is. And I was like, I like, look, I understand like what goes on. And I'm like, no, no, we'll just go back and pay it. Like whatever. So they put us in the back of the cop car and we go in and, <laughs> and I knew how much the bill was. The bill was like 60 euros for like three, three of us, I think, or something like that. And which wasn't bad. And then we get there and they show us a bill and this bill is 150 euros. And then I start throwing a fit. They didn't really like that, but I ended up paying it. And the, I'm back in this cop car going back to my like mom and pop, like D and B. And I get there and luckily these people kind of like see me coming in and out of the, the small little hotel that they have like every morning at like, Five thirty, six o'clock. So they kind of know who I am, right? And I get there, and these cops want me to give them my passport. At this point, Ooh, we don't. Do they that. say well, I'm not allowed to leave unless I give them my passport. And if it wasn't for the like B and B like people that right. ran this hotel, if they didn't basically tell them to just shoo off after a while. Like, I don't know if I would have been arrested for literally just having for, a couple drinks with my friends and having dinner. Right. And all that turned into that. Wow. 
Wow. I, I did not realize that uh, you were such a hellraiser on the internet. You're such an international criminal. I did not realize that. Realize that. We're uncovering all sorts of stuff here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, appara- apparently I'm a... I'm just a walking criminal in Italy. I mean, you, and I don't know why. You fit you fit the profile because when when people look at Chase Kepka, they think, "Well, here comes trouble." I mean, that's that's. I mean, I'm five foot nine, 150 pounds, and apparently just a criminal mastermind. I am. That's that was my first thought. So I, I'm glad we're doing social. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing social distancing because I would be, I would be trembling in fear being in your presence. So this is this is not bad. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so those two experiences kind of really laid out, you know, what you're talking about as far as, you know, having to figure it out on the golf course and off the golf course. Now you had, um, you know, you had European tour status in 18 and then, uh, you know, playing on the challenge tour in 19, but you've made the decision now, so to speak, to, to come back to the States and try and get to the PGA tour, um, through corn Ferry, through perhaps, um, you know, Latin America or, or Canada. And, uh, I'm guessing, like, if you're European and you want to play in Europe, it's probably easier to bounce around to these countries. But I'm guessing, and I, because I just don't know, but if your goal is to get to the PGA Tour, it sounds that unless you really get in there and, and move up quickly, that's not the place you want to do it just because of all the travel and, and the just the, the stress of everything. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there, trust me, there, there's been guys that have, that have been able to do it, go through the European tour and then kind of bounce back to the PGA tour, but it, it takes time. And it made it seem pretty easy because my brother did it in about two years right? over there, but I, I kind of have to put him to the side and he's an anomaly in the fact that what he did is unbelievably special. And there's a very high chance that I might not do that as fast. And I had to look at it myself and going, hey, I really need to work on my game a little bit right now. And it was like halfway through the Challenge Tour season. And I just said, I, I really need to get back. And I'm, I just want to work on my game and get it ready for Q School um, to tee it up back both for European Tour Q School and first stage of Corn Ferry Q School. And I just took that time and I was like, I really need to reflect on what I'm doing and how I can get better. And that helped uh, me kind of taking, take, basically taking the, half of the last half of the season off on the Challenge Tour and me getting prepared enough for Q School and to do what I did. And I don't think I had the mindset going into the first stage of European Tour Q School this year that I needed to. I kind of didn't really want to be there i was kind of in a bad mental state because i was like i just kind of want to play on the corn ferry tour and i played terribly i think i missed by like two or three at first stage of q school in europe and i was just i was kind of bummed but at the same time i didn't have as good a mental approach going into it as i should have and i needed to take it way more seriously than i did and that's on me and that kind of woke me up going hey i need to I, i need to stay focused because now i have one opportunity to play somewhere next year and I want that to be on the corn Ferry tour. And luckily it kind of worked out for me that, um, got through all the stages and got to final stage and was able to lock up some status there. Yeah. You, um, you used, uh, use your brother's caddy, use Ricky Elliott in second stage and, uh, you know, not to, 
you know, one of the best counties in the world, obviously, a lot of experience, and not to maybe, you know, compare and contrast with the caddies he used in Europe, but are there things that you're able to learn from him? I mean, he gets you, you know, he's on the bag, you get through with him, so obviously it was successful, but are there maybe some lessons that you learned there, perhaps how he handled a certain situation, how you then in turn handled it, that you can take with you maybe uh, for the next year or for the rest of your career, actually, getting through is the first thing, but lessons you learned. Is there anything you took away from having him? The one thing that I really appreciated Ricky when he came to Caddy for me, he took it very seriously. That was the one thing that, oh, that's all I asked. I was like, hey, Rick, like, you know, I need it. And he, he goes, dude, I'm, I'm working. He's like, I'm going to be, I'm taking this seriously. And he, he, it was one of those things that I don't, I don't even know why I had to even like ask <laughs> right, that. Right, But, I mean, at the time, he's caddying for the number one player in the world, and he, and he comes to Caddy for me. And I just tried to use Rick as little as possible, which I know that my brother does too. But when Rick needs to kind of come in and kind of tell him something or whatever, it's serious. And Rick knows when to do that and kind of when to step back. And the few times that Rick kind of stepped up and said something to me, I, I just tried to listen. And I did a really bad job in the third round listening to him. And I played terrible, and I think I just put too much pressure on myself in that third round to kind of play well, and that's solely on me. It's not on him. But going into that final round, you know, I was starting to – I was like, you know what, like I'm starting to hit it a little bit better. Like I just need to relax and just go have a good day. And I'm walking pretty confidently to the first tee, and I think I'm already like one or two shots back of making it through. And I make double on the first hole. I'm walking to the, I'm like, obviously not very happy walking to the second hole. Right. And Rick stopped me and goes, isn't it much better that you just made double on the first hole than the 18th hole? Because you have time to fix it. You don't have time to fix it if you made that on the 18th hole. Right. And I honestly played the second hole and I don't even remember what even happened on that second hole because I was thinking about what he just told me. <laughs> And I'm like, like I, I'm thinking in my head, like, no matter when you make a double, it like, still counts. it's not very, it, it, it still counts. But it was the fact that without him saying, hey, I believe in you and you can fix this. I kind of, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to say that to me, but he wanted me to kind of figure out how to, how I can channel it myself and say, no, no, I believe in myself. And that was, that's what kind of people don't see from the outside is how much uh good caddy that you connect with really does make a difference yeah and that's why brooks and ricky have clicked so much and done so well i honestly i I went through that final round and i still think i made a couple bogeys coming in and shot like four under i know i i I eagled this drivable part four that they kind of moved up the tee um, to make it interesting in the final round. I made eagle on that hole and then went like driver foreign to touch flag like 20 feet and canned it on my 16th hole. And I was like, I knew once I made that, I was like, okay, like I'm in, I'm in the cut line. I'm inside that number now and made two cars coming in. I got done and I was like, wow, like that was awesome. And Ricky told me, after, he was like, I, I think that was 
I think I was more excited about that than they were after that last major. And I was, he was like, wow. he was like, cause he goes, and, and I didn't realize what actually he meant. It was just the fact that he, he believed in me so much that I could do it. And the fact that I actually went out there under those circumstances, what I did those last 17 holes, even with making bogeys and making mistakes, the fact that I still kind of kept going and I still believed in myself. Rick told me, he's like, dude, you're, you're going to, you're going to do well in this game after what I just watched you do those last 17 holes after starting out with a double. I would imagine that those comments are probably as just more important than just about any trophy you've ever won in your career at this point. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, that that's for sure. Wow. And, and it was like, I really, I was really appreciative of Rick kind of coming, um, to help me out. Um, not a lot of people might know, but in, in Dallas at, at that time, it was 80 degrees the week before Q school up second stage. And after one of the rounds, we got in our car and it was 28 degrees when we finished. And it like to make second stage of Q school any harder. And the fact that it was freezing and windy <laughs> yeah, doesn't make it any easier, you know, and it wears on you. So I was just really happy to be able to get through that, you know, after such a long, tough week. Yeah, Q school is a special uh, special type of hell, and uh, adding bad weather to it just seems like a cruel and unusual punishment. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know why they would do that. They should play it in a dome. Um, that's why they should play to PJ West all the time, where it's just perfectly sunny and no breeze, and just you know, go out there and knock knock flags down. Well, I'm I'm glad you shared that story, and you know, like I said, talking about using that as or, or comparing that to any of your victories you know you and i we, we could we could talk about your victories you had a lot in college got a lot of minor league tour we could talk about those but we need to talk about easily one of the most memorable victories of your career um winning the father-son championship at atlantis with your dad Let, let's talk about the family a little bit you know um who who was the a player and who was the b player in, in that, uh, in that, in that grouping there, uh, w- w- were you carrying your dad or was he carrying you? How many shots does he want first, first of all? Well, it was a, it was a pure alternate shot. Oh dear God. Tournament. That's enough to really break up a household. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was really hard. And, uh, there's probably a lot of father son relationships that got, uh, broken during those two days. According to me, I believed I was the A player uh, that week. If you, for those two days, if you talk to my dad, um, he is always the A player, and that's just who he is. He he did make some nice putts, and he kept the ball in play, and I think we shot like one or two under on like pure alternate shot. That's pretty which, good. Which was really, really good. And my dad was just, there were so many times that we, my dad was taking it so seriously and I love him for that. <laughs> and he would like look at me every time. Like if I didn't hit like a wedge shot, like inside 15 feet, you trying to give me that look like you kidding me. I just set you up with a perfect drive and you're going to hit a wedge shot to 15, 20 feet. Like wow. I expect better out of you. <laughs> love, love you too, dad. Um, that's great. And uh, there, there was one, there was one hole out there. I I drove it up like 50 yards from the green, and it wasn't in the easiest spot. 
and I'm telling my dad just to chip it to the middle of the green because this thing is, like, tucked behind a bunker. And my dad's like, yeah, 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 I'll do it, do it. <laughs> and this thing kind of comes out, like, low and right, but it kind of has some spin to it. And it, like, goes to, like, five feet. Like, it barely carries over the bunker and goes to, like, five feet. And I'm, like, looking at him, like, like good miss. He's like, no, I was doing that. Uh-huh. I was doing that on purpose. And he goes, you got to remember, son, you got to be destined for the Hall of Fame. Holy okay, you got to want it bad enough. <laughs> you got to want it bad enough. This is the spider. He, he, he didn't. Exa- he didn't exactly use those words because there's a couple other profanities in, in there uh-huh. that I don't really mention. But um, but yeah, it was basically it was along those lines, oh and I've never. I, I almost I almost couldn't even hit my putt. Because of what my dad just told me and how you're, serious la- you're laughing too hard. I'm laughing so hard. And, but the, the competitive nature that my dad has, he is very much instilled in my brother and I and how we play golf and do everything in our lives, whether it's ping pong, pool, you know, shooting hoops, like it's all pretty competitive in the Kepka household. Yeah, and, and just to make sure everyone's aware of what tournament we're talking about, just in case you couldn't find it on Golf Channel or you didn't see it on, on golf.com, we're talking about the 61st annual uh, Pop Sykes Memorial Father-Son Championship, which, you know, was not televised. But nice to know that that he was so locked in. Um, glad you didn't let, let him down because, I mean – Sound. I, I can't wait to get him on an episode. I mean, we've been trying. Obviously, we've been trying for a long time, but I I can't wait to hear the stories out of him. Um, and the thing is, it, when you play in a tournament like that with my dad, you know if you screw up, you will not. He will remind you about it that you cost the team to win a tournament. Jeez. For the rest of your life, and if you win, then you just get to hear crazy stories about how he still carried the team to victory. And I love that. <laughs> so really you were in a no win situation at this point. Don't, the only thing, the only thing I won was a trophy. There you go. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, well, Chase, uh, you've been, you've been great with your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me, let me get you out of here with just this one. It's a very unique situation. I'm sure that there have been other ones in the history of, you know, professional golf, but it's a unique situation where you're trying to climb the ranks and um, and you have a noticeable last name. Can you maybe talk about maybe the positives and the negatives of the different opportunities or different attention that's come your way? I'm sure you're getting offers of things that can help you in your career, but you're also smart and you're aware that they're maybe an ulterior motive or there's other reasons as to why you're getting those offers. There, there have been things, but I can't really blame them for wanting me to come to an outing or things of that nature because it's tough because they want to, they want to get bigger names and some like outings and, and whatnot. And obviously, you know, they might not be able to get, my brother, um, but you know, they, they, they call, they call me up and I'm more happy to do it. And a lot of these things, you know, once they kind of get to know me 
after that first time, you know, kind of word kind of spreads, you know, that, you know, they've had an outing event where the foursome that I played with absolutely loved it, had a great day. And that, you know, and a lot of times I get more calls back wanting to play from the guy, the guy, the guys that I played with the year before, they're calling me back on, Hey, we want you to come play with us again. Right. And then they just signed up. Well, because and the reason I'm asking is just because it has to be just an interesting dynamic of the fact that look, you're trying to forge your own path, you're climbing the ranks, you're climbing the developmental tours, um, th- the right way. You're going to Q schools, you're trying to qualify, you're you're paying your dues, doing it the right way, and you know you're getting different questions, different opportunities, different interviews for that matter. Um, it's coming to you in a different way than maybe other guys in your shoes are getting it. And, and that's, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's just the nature. I mean, that there's no way around that. Yeah. I mean, obviously a guy that has done what I've done probably in golf, probably won't get the spotlight that, um, that I've received. Um, but not all of it's good stuff. That's what, well, that's, well, that's, that's what I mean. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, people, people don't see, you know, messages that I, I've received on, you know, like Instagram or Twitter. Like, I mean, not, not the kind of stuff from some people, but you know, uh, what they do see is, you know, the, you know, a couple sponsor invites that I've had on the PGA tour but hey, if somebody got a sponsor, like you wouldn't really turn it down, you know. Anybody that got an opportunity to go play on the PJ Tour, I'm pretty sure everybody would take it. Yeah. And and you know, um, the few that I've received, you know, I've done well. I think I've uh, I think I've made the cut in every sponsor invite that I've had. And the only other PJ Tour event I, I think I missed the cut in was the Wells Fargo. That after we finished T five at the Zurich, where I got to play the following week. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm just trying to take advantage of the opportunities that I do have. And yes, they might be more than other people, but it's not my fault. I'm just trying. I'm trying to make a living playing professional golf, and I'm. I really don't want to use my brother to build you know, who I am, but it's hard when people come up to me and that's all they want to ask about is how my brother's doing and, and that nature. But that's just the world I live in and I have to deal with it my own way. Yeah. No, fair enough. Yeah. So we'll finish up with, you know, we gave your brother a little bit of publicity early on. You're, You're close to the source, hopefully not that close, but when did your family first learn about him being in the body issue and how much shit do you give him for that? Honestly, uh, I didn't really know much about it. It was through, I honestly don't think I've even really seen the pictures too much. I remember seeing a couple of them from the body issue, but honestly couldn't even tell you what, what was going on. So I actually haven't really given a banter about it. I do have one thing in relation to the body issue that I actually just thought about it. Um, I remember seeing a little bit more of Brooks's body issue photo when uh, I was playing at the CJ Cup this past year. And these guys made, there was like five or six guys that made these 
uh, like sweatshirts that had Brooks's body issue picture on it. And these guys were out following me in the final round. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever that these guys made these sweatshirts and Brooks's body issue on them. And they got up really close on one of the holes. And I literally hit my tee shot and I ran over and took a picture with them. And <laughs> that was actually really funny. Uh, I just thought about that. I don't know why it, it, kind of, it kind of blew my mind when we were talking about that. Right. But I, I, did see, I did see a lot of Brooks from, uh, from those guys when I was in Korea. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Chase, listen, man, I really appreciate the time. Um, I, I love the stories. I love the story about, about you know, Rick and, and you getting through Corn Ferry Tour. That's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I'd wish you luck on your next uh, on the next tournament, but we don't know what that next tournament is. So I'm just going to wish you luck. Just kind of staying healthy, staying safe. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. Hope we can do it again soon, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Chase Kepka for joining me on this episode. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think of this episode and any of the previous episodes. And yes, I have started a VIP email list. Not sure quite what I'm doing with it yet. Might be some advance notice on future guests. Maybe secret episodes. Not quite sure, but uh, provide your email address. The link is in the show notes of this episode. You can always go to thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time for another episode here at The Back of the Range.